Last week we started, and contrary to a lot of our thinking and the way we might approach things in the world that we live in today, we discovered that at root, the idea of work is a good thing. It's a good thing for us to work. That's a great starting point. And you might think, do you know what? It is half past five, 25 to six. I've got a few more hours. I'm going to go to bed. Tomorrow morning, I'm getting up for work. Don't give me this rubbish about work being good. I think we get a little tiny sense of why it is good when we have those moments of frustrating boredom and inactivity. We want to do stuff. We want to produce stuff. We want to, I, I'm not saying that there aren't beautiful times of just lying in the sun and not working, but if that was our day in, day out task, we couldn't function. Actually, we would fall apart. We would not do well with nothing. We need something. So here's the challenge of this week. If work is good, why is it so bad? That seems straightforward, isn't it? If work is good, why is it so bad? I'm not saying, note, is it bad? <laughs> I'm saying, why is it bad? Because it is bad. Why is it bad? We sing about it. Let me just read just a few words. Tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen. Blank. Maybe if I sang it with great joy and kind of enthusiasm, you might, there we go, somebody's diving into it. There we've got a bit of Dolly Parton kicking off here. We sing about work. And I kind of, what I find is the irony of that song is absolutely fascinating. It's this, and I think she's a brilliant songwriter, but she creates this kind of happy, jaunty rhythm. And she's actually singing words of enormous strain. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy if you let it. And that's sung with joy and fun and we all get into it. And actually, that is our painful, angry, frustrated experience of work. We get used. <laughs> we get abused. I, I find that, actually, that's the genius of that song. Sung with great joy about the horror of our day-to-day -day experience. That's one thing. There's all sorts of songs about work, but I think Lou Reed, Don't Talk About Work, really captures another experience. Listen to these words. When I get home, I don't want you to speak. Don't talk to me about work. Please don't talk to me about work. I'm up to my eyeballs in dirt with work, with work. Fascinating. 
absolutely fascinating. We have this kind of joyful lyric about the way that we're abused, and then we have the gritty Lou Reed lyrics, which talk about the fact that work isn't just a bad experience when we are there, but work is actually the root of the crushing of our relationships when we are outside of work. Isn't that fascinating? That isn't, that isn't from the Bible, but we'll see why it is. But that is us saying in deep, rich, powerful, gritty words, here's the reality of our work experience. It's not just in there that it's bad, but it affects us, our relationships. We are shattered in our experiences because of this horrible thing called work. Why is work bad? It drains us. It works us into the ground. If that's what work is, and we said last week that a real Christian-shaped, a real Bible-shaped view of work changes. You might be looking at this thinking, I'm interested in this Christian Christianity. I'm interested in this Jesus. I'm interested in this idea of faith. Let me explain why we look at things like this. Because the Christian life is not something that's done over in this little compartment of life. It's something which changes our view of everything. It reorientates us about everything. And therefore, it needs to reorientate us about our work life as well. Can we find a way in the horror of work to see hope because we believe in Jesus? And I would say there is a resounding yes to that. But we have to understand firstly why it is bad. said last week, Understanding the portrayal of Genesis 1 to chapter 11, if we understand that, we understand all sorts about our human identity and what the rest of the Bible is doing to resolve the issues back there. Genesis chapter 3 is our chapter that we're looking at uh, this afternoon, and I'm going to pick out quite simply five things, just five things, and I'm going to head them, put a, a kind of a big heading over them, Work and death. That is so happy, isn't it? But that's the reality. Work and death. The first thing I want to see is that the crisis that we face is shaped in evil. It's shaped in evil. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 to 5 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did what God really say? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any, uh, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, from your, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the portrayal that we see laid out in front of us. God, if we go back to the previous chapters, has created an environment of beauty and purpose 
and as we saw last week, joyful endeavor. There is a deep, rich, positive relationship between God and His creation, humanity. There was a relationship there. It's a relationship for since this time, since this crisis of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we have been craving for the reestablishment of that relationship. We have been desperate for it. Augustine put it like this, uh, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. That's what he said. I would say that if we capture, capture hold of that idea, restless hearts, we can apply it to every human being throughout history. We express our restlessness in different ways throughout time. But essentially, our restlessness is because we are looking for something. In that other amazing band, UT, you too, they, their lyrics ring out, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There is that desperation in the human condition looking for something. But look at what breaks in. It is not God that takes the relationship away. It is the evil one, the serpent, the one who is antagonistic to the creation of God and hateful towards God's creation that breaks in and twists and perverts thinking against God. Now, we probably, most of us, kind of know the story roughly. But if we swept our time machine back to when this was written, it would be groundbreaking because of this reason. In the culture in which the Bible was being established and God's people were beginning to learn what was going on, the other view of the gods, which was prevalent at the time, is that the gods were to be served by human beings. That was the purpose of human beings, to serve the gods. And there is nothing further from the truth, actually. Humanity and God were together in the joyful endeavor. And then the evil one breaks in and twists and perverts. So the first thing we see is shaped in evil. The second thing we see is that the crisis is connected to the work commission. It's been great as I've been working through this, and it's just, yeah, of course. What were they called to do? Look, well, let's read it first, and then let's see how this connects with the work commission. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, this is verse 6, sorry, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. When the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. What did we see God called His people to do last time? He said, go, in, go and establish yourself in the garden and tend it, subdue it, develop it, nurture it, create a, 
farm it, if you like, build it up, and gain benefit from it. Eat. And now we have this moment breaking in which says, take something which you were not to eat, which you were told is just there. You were to develop and to nurture over here, but this stuff is just there. And go against the Word of God. Your commission was to do this stuff, and they decide to do that stuff. Furthermore, their task of disobedience in eating fruit results in a task of covering their shame. See what they do? As soon as they realize that sense of nakedness, they work to hide themselves. They work by sewing leaves together. They have to go through another process of work which was not necessary before, but it becomes necessary to hide their nakedness. They took fig leaves and they covered themselves. We've got a kind of world which is kind of driving towards the joy of nakedness. And the reality is, the most horrific dreams that we can have is when we are ashamed in front of others in our nakedness. That's what the Bible is driving at here. The sense of our, our exposure and our nakedness. It's kind of like the reality of me, the exposed reality of me being looked at by 10,000 eyes. And I feel deeply ashamed and uncomfortable. And it results in them having to do something to cover their nakedness. They take leaves and they, they now have to work to cover that. Third thing that we see, the ground we are called to tend is now the ground that will become our hardship. This is right at the heart of work. What was supposed to be joyful, what was supposed to be something of pleasure and worth and purposeful, joyful endeavor becomes hard. Verse 17 of chapter 3. God turned to Adam as a result of what had gone on and he said this, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Why is it so hard? Because the joyful endeavor that it should have been is now cursed. And at the root level, what they were given to do, at the root level, I didn't mean to quite <laughs> such a point. At the base level, they were given a joyful task of farming and nurturing and growing and developing. It was supposed to be a good thing. And now the very thing that was good has turned bad and hard. 
I, I, see, I see in the portrayal that God lays out here the kind of fledgling of the human race and all of the development and potential to grow and build and establish. That's what God said, go and do. The idea of some of the te- all of the technology that we have developed and built and, and grown over the millennia was always in the purpose of God right here at the beginning. Because that was the potential that He wrote in to humanity. And when He said go and build and, and subdue and create something amazing, that was what humanity was to do. But what we have found is that from this very moment, every step forward is painful and hard and dirty and grimy and difficult and shaped with the attitudes of people who are vile. That's us. We're vile in our attitudes and shaped with mistrust, and shaped with abuse. So we have this layer upon layer of the work is now difficult, and the people that we now are make it difficult. Every progress in humanity has been hard won. (laughs) Every progress. Nothing has been easy. All of the industries that have grown and developed, they've started with hardship and pain and blood and death and difficulty. And it seems to me that God had had intended it for it never to be like that, but for it to be so much better. The next thing, the fourth thing we see, which I think is stunning, is this. The ground we are given to tend is the ground that will now consume us. Look at verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's just devastating the impact that we see here. The portrayal that we have of the formation of human beings is that we are taken, and we know this in a deep sense now, in a much deeper sense, that all of the created order is of a similar kind of body of matter and all that. You physicians will know amazing stuff about this. We see that in the last two chapters, that God has created humanity out of something and then given humanity the dignity of a role to go and nurture and build and grow and work this land. And now God says, the very land that you are to tend, you are going to disappear back into. It's going to consume you. You will return to dust. And then we say, is that it? Is that life? Is that all it is? Life is hard and then you die. The final conclusion that we see in verse 23, and actually a little bit of an indicator of where we head with this, 
So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. See what's going on there? God says, I'm going to place you in a beautiful place for you to work. And now we are banished from the beautiful place. And now we have to work, or we are given the commission to work in the place that is no longer beautiful. It is now hard. Do you see how critical that is? Work doesn't stop. Work carries on. Is that it? Work and hardship. If we get to grips and if we understand what is being portrayed here, we get to see the possibility. God is saying, if that's what happened back there, if that is the crisis that went on back there, and I am saying to you, carry on working. He's saying, I want you to find a way to understand your role in the work of rebuilding and recreating and redeeming what has fallen apart. The crisis that you have brought upon yourselves is a journey to rebuilding. Now, I want us to understand how does that rebuilding take place? Because unless we see the direct connection between our rebellion and the hostility that emerges we're not going to be able to see how we might actually do work that is redeeming. See, a hostile response to work, if we're hostile towards the idea of work, we're actually carrying on doing the work of the evil one who broke in and shattered the good that God had established. We're carrying on that work. We're carrying on the job of rebelling against this idea of work. We're carrying on and saying, I will not have it your way, I will have it my way. We're carrying on that job. The second thing that we see is the hostile response to work destroys our hope of finding redeeming fulfillment in the work that we do. Paul puts it like this when he wrote to the Colossian church. He said this, and this is a kind of springboard for our understanding. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, he says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do. When we get up tomorrow morning and we are heading off to work, or when we get the shift in the middle of the week, when we end up in that meeting or in that environment, where the person that we are working for is just obnoxious and rude and threatening and devastating to our, our identity, these words should shout out to us, 
Whatever you do, whether in word and deed, do it all for the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? What does redemptive work mean when it's this bad? It means something like this. We find ways that when we are being berated unfairly, unjustly, we remind ourselves that the work that we are doing it's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. I am in this place at this time, at this moment, because God has put me here. That's the kind of journey that we have in our confidence of God's hand on our lives. I am here because God has put me here. I am being abused because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3 because it is now a crisis of relationship and it is a crisis of, of devastating impact. But I am going to do the next five minutes in the face of that abuse for Jesus. No matter what has been said to me, That doesn't mean that there aren't times when we have to stand up to work bullying. Of course not. There are times when fairness and justice is a redemptive journey that we have to take. But, but what we've got to also understand is that work is hard because of the injustice of our human natures towards each other. And because the task of work is difficult. Because it is cursed. And one of the steps to redeem that task is to realize that every day, every moment, I am doing it for Jesus. How can we get to that and why could we get to that? The reason that we can get to that is rooted in one thing. It's because of what Jesus has done. And because from this very moment in Genesis chapter 3, we see the seeds of God's redeeming work. What do Adam and Eve do when they are ashamed of their nakedness? They take fig leaves. They realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. That's verse 7. What does God do when He comes to them? And he re they realize that they are naked before Him. In verse 21, we realize this. The Lord God works to cover their shame. He works to cover their shame. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He made something. I mean, manufacturing is disappearing in our country, isn't it? But, but actually, you know, a lot of the job of work is making stuff. Whether it's content, whether it's care environments, whether it's physical things, we make things. God didn't magic something out of the air to cover their nakedness. He made something. But listen to this incredible thought. What he, what he made to cover them 
caused the shedding of blood. They used leaves. He used skins. What's going on there? We might think that that's just God's just using something there which makes a better covering than a leaf. No. God is he's kind of like throwing a little tiny clue into the journey of humanity. And he's saying this, for your shame to be covered, blood is going to have to be shed. Blood is going to have to be shed for you to stand in front of me naked. Do you see, that is incredible. It's a tiny little comment. But actually, there was death and the shedding of blood for Adam and Eve to be covered. And from that very moment, Genesis chapter 3, from the first moment where humanity rebels against God, God is working to redeem humanity, to build humanity's relationship again, to clothe humanity, to restore humanity. Jesus called the disciples together in Matthew chapter 20 and 25. He says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Our task is to serve in work for each other. Just, he says, as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. He's saying, I have come not so that you can serve me. I have come so that I can serve you. Because do you remember way back when animal skins were used to cover your shame? I am here to do the final job of covering your shame. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, the story continues. For us to be redeemed by God, it takes work, it takes the shedding of blood, and it takes God's redemptive work. And He says to every one of us, work is a redemptive act when you do it for me. When you do all things for my glory, for my name, for my renown. I pray for myself as much as for all of us that I might be granted the grace to totally reorientate my thinking so that when I face the next week in work and it is ridiculously painful and people behave in intolerable ways that I might be granted the grace as I pray that you might be granted the grace 
to work for Jesus in that moment and exhibit before the whole world a completely, radically different attitude towards the crisis of work because I do it for him.